You are listening to the Left Right Forward Show with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Enjoy the show. Welcome. This is Left Right Forward Business and Political Solutions, and I'm your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. I am very excited today. I have a good friend and colleague, and he's well-known in Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, because he is the maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony, and he is a good friend, a fantastic musician, and has been here over 20 years and has taken this orchestra to new heights. So I'd like to introduce you to Lonnie Klein, the maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Lonnie. Thank you so much, Ambassador. I'm looking forward to this uh, interview, and it's my pleasure to be here with you in my honor. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I just want our listeners to know about you personally. So talk a little bit about your your background and uh, where did you grow up and how did you get interested in music? Just give us a little sense of that. Okay, so I actually grew up in Henderson, Kentucky, which is in western Kentucky, um, I was born in Eunice, Louisiana, uh-huh. and I lived there till I was three years old. My father and mother um, moved to uh, Louisiana because my father actually, after he graduated from college, he actually was uh, working on you know, on the oil rigs there in the boom time mm-hmm. of the um, um, late fifties, early sixties. But uh, so I lived there three years. And but my father and my mother really missed their families. So my aunt, my grandparents, my uncles, cousins, everyone still lived back in in Henderson. So in 1962, when I was three years old, we uh, well, my family, we moved back to Henderson. Right. And so I lived I lived in Henderson through my undergrad years. So I uh, went to Henderson County High School. I was the drum major right. of the high school band at an early age. I was just a freshman. I won that position. And that's subsequently how I became a conductor, because actually at the time, I started conducting the high school band. Right. So I, you know, I had a lot of experience. And, and uh, even as a teenager, I was doing pickup gigs. Um, had good high school teachers. I had a really fine high school choir director and a high school band director, and they were my early mentors. Um, didn't have uh, uh, recordings, didn't have, obviously, CDs and albums, didn't even have a record player. Right. But they would take me to orchestra concerts when I was literally 13. Um, Evansville Philharmonic, I recall Owensboro Symphony, of course, and I was just enthralled with um, the orchestra and the sounds that they made. And I thought, that's that's really what I want to do. I want to be a conductor. That's but amazing. I, w- played, I played clarinet, and all my degrees are actually in clarinet and conducting because... Um, I enjoyed it. I, I want, actually wanted to fall back. I thought, you know, if I can't make it as a conductor, I'd like to still play professionally as a clarinetist in an orchestra. So at any rate, I, I had good good teachers. Um, I had a really fine uh, uh, mentor in Evansville, Dr. David Wright, 
I, I sort of outgrew my band director. He was giving me lessons. He said, I can't help you anymore, Lonnie. You're going to have to go to a professional clarinetist. Wow. So I started studying clarinet from, from David Wright when I was 14 and, and really studied with him through, through all through high school, even through my college years. And I had another clarinet uh, teacher at Murray State University, who, of course, I studied from when I was getting my bachelor's degree in uh, actually music education and performance. But I was studying conducting, and I was the only drum major at, uh, ever at, at Murray State University that, as a freshman, won that position, that, that competition. So I had a lot of opportunities to conduct as a teenager and through uh, my undergraduate years. So I sort of did a double major of clarinet and conducting, and I learned the craft by playing in orchestras. I was principal clarinetist of the Paducah Symphony for a number of years, which is in Western conduct, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. And then I played second clarinet in the Owensboro Symphony, and I substituted quite a bit in Evansville with the Evansville Philharmonic. And all these orchestras had uh, obviously three different conductors, and I became friends with them. Wow. And I wanted to be, I wanted them to mentor me. And so I studied from Leon Gregorian in Owensboro, and I studied from Alfred Savia in, in Evansville, and I studied from Bob Barr, with the conductor of the Paducah Symphony. And I watched how they worked in orchestra. I watched how they trained an orchestra. I learned a lot of musically, technically, um, score study, harmonic analysis, melodic analysis, form structure, uh, tendencies of the instruments, what they can do, what they can't do, uh, particularly the strings. So I had, you know, I had some really good mentors through my undergrad years. And that's, a, that's amazing. And you started at, uh, in high school, and you know, we have that in common because I was also a drum major in my high school band, uh, but I didn't. <laughs> right. I didn't go as far as you did. Right? Yeah, that's ironic. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, a trump. I was a trumpet player. I was a. I was in the brass section, and you're mm-hmm. in the reeds with clarinet. But you went much further than I did. Incredible. <laughs> so you went on to Murray State and studied. Uh, got your bachelor's uh, at Murray State, but you started in the orchestras uh, during that time. That's correct. I, I, I got my bachelor's degree at Murray State University, and up on I graduated when I was 22, and I wanted to sort of keep playing the clarinet in the area, mm-hmm. so I applied for the position of, of orchestra director uh, at Owensboro High School. It was called Davies County High School in Owensboro, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I'm going to teach because what they what better way to learn your craft if you're teaching? Because basically a conductor is a teacher. Right. It's not just waving the baton. I mean, you have to sort of figure out everything in an orchestra. You have 70 personalities. You have all kinds of instrumentation. Um, you have the repertoire. You have a limited rehearsal time. So I learned a lot teaching um, at in, in Owensboro. So how, I, long, how long did you teach, Lonnie? I taught three years. Wow. In Owensboro. I really enjoyed it, but I knew that if I really wanted to move forward 
in terms of my career and, and my goal aspirations that I needed to get my master's and I needed to get a doctorate. And the, the conductor of the Owensboro Symphony at that time was Leon Gregorian, and he was a fabulous conductor. He's Armenian, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he, I just learned so much from him. And even in Owensboro, I studied with him, uh, and then, of course, I played in the orchestra. Well, he was offered uh, the uh, director of orchestras at Michigan State University, which obviously is a Big Ten school. They had mm-hmm. a huge orchestra program. And Leon said, why don't you come to Michigan with me? Wow. And you'll get in. So I went and auditioned on clarinet uh, with the very famous clarinetist, Elsa Ludwig Vidaire. I was accepted into the studio uh, as a clarinet major, and then I studied from Leon. So I packed everything and went to Michigan State. And from there, I played in two orchestras, and it was a very good training opportunity. So I played in two orchestras there at Michigan, um, and then I was gigging around the area, around Saginaw, uh, Grand Rapids, Jackson, uh, Michigan, and then, of course, getting my master's in conducting as well and studying from, from Leon. Just want to be sure, Lonnie. You started at Owensburg High School, but you Owensboro. then on mm-hmm. Owensboro, and mm-hmm. uh, but you were involved in the orchestra as well. And it was that director who was your mentor uh, that took you to Michigan State. Is that right? That is correct. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah so when I told him, well, when I found out he was leaving, I went to Leon and said, well, "Leon, I I've been here three years as well. You've been here thirteen which was a long time uh, to be a music director in that generation. And so well, I'm going to Michigan. They offered me a, uh, the director of orchestras. It's going to be more money. It's going to be retirement. It's going to be uh, bonuses. Uh, I'm coming in as a full professor, tenured. Um, would you consider coming to Michigan State, studying from me, and then studying from Elsa Ludwig Bader? And I jumped at it. This was a great opportunity. And so I spent three years at Michigan getting these two degrees. And then they helped me, both Elsa and Leon helped me get my another teaching position, uh, just a visiting professor, but I was uh, appointed uh, uh, music director of the Hope College Symphony in Holland, Michigan. Subsequently did that for a year, realized I want to keep going. And that's when I went to the University of Illinois. Wow. And again, I got a master's in clarinet and a doctorate in conducting with the idea that I want to be a conductor, but I still want to, you know, keep my hand in the orchestra in terms of playing. Well, you've had, uh, I mean, a solid uh, foundation in music and and conducting, uh, moving up from Murray State with the bachelor's and Michigan State uh, for your master's and then the doctorate. But you got another master's and a doctorate. Right. Yeah, I, I double majored in, in both areas in my graduate years. That is, so, that is incredible. I, I want to go back for a minute because you mentioned along the way that you were gigging. So explain to my listeners what that's all about. We're talking to the maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra, and he's going <laughs> to his background on how he got to where he is. And tell us about what, 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 what's gigging. Was it music uh, classical or was it other things? Well, it was basically a crossover crossover of everything. I mean, I was 
for the most part, playing in an orchestra. So I played, as I said, mm-hmm. in, in Owensboro, and I played in Evansville, and then I played in Paducah. And then we'd have road shows that would come in. Uh, things like the Moody Blues would come in, and they needed a backup orchestra. So I would, I would take that gig. Um, anybody that was doing road shows in the tri-state area, I would, I would take those gigs. And I was, you know, I did play saxophone and flute. Wow. Uh, so I played a number of musicals um, because, you know, they paid well and um, it was just another opportunity to, to sit in an orchestra, play new literature, learn repertoire. Um, the camaraderie that one has in an orchestra is really exciting. So I learned a lot of different styles, not just classical, but, you know, film scores and, and musicals and I played Gosh, rock and roll. Sometimes I did. I did a show with the Temptations and the Contours, wow. and just anything that you know came up that paid and gave me more experience. I would take those gigs. So you would do that in small groups and large groups, uh, but you would right. take that opportunity to play. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the orchestration right. and and the venue. So I did that um, through through my doctorate. And then the opportunity came up that in Evansville, at the University of Evansville, they had an opening for the director of orchestras. Mm-hmm. And this was, my, this was my shot. I applied for the position and auditioned, interviewed, of course. Uh, and then I was hired as the music director in 1989 in Evansville, Indiana, and was conducting a university orchestra. Not a professional symphony. This was a university orchestra. But it was a private liberal arts college, and the students were very bright and very talented. And I took that orchestra to new heights um, in terms of the quality of, of the playing, the literature. I started a series, a concert series, uh, with that orchestra and brought in guest artists that had never, they had never, uh, had before they typically didn't have any guest artists and most memorable was uh an african-american pianist who's very famous now Awa Dajin pratt hmm. i had obviously the one of the most memorable uh concerts was with william warfield Fantastic. and william warfield um i met at in illinois and I thought I want I want to do a, a program with him. If you recall, he was married to Leotine Price, and they were the original original singers in Porgy and Bess, Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, mm-hmm. which became very famous. And he also sang "Old Man River" and "Showboat." Right, but he's and, mostly an opera singer. Yes, he was an opera right. singer, mm-hmm. but a great narrator, great uh, uh, singer. As a matter of fact, uh, they recorded that showboat at MGM, and they did it in one take. So if you go back and look at that that that, uh, that movie, uh, you'll see William Warfield as a young man singing "Old Man River." Um, so I brought him in, and we did we did. Uh, Porgy and Bess. We did Old Man River as an encore, and I also did the narr- He also did the narration, which he got a Grammy for. Uh, Lisboa Rousseau dot a soldier's tale by Stravinsky. 
So, uh, and he had wonderful stories. You know, he made many, many albums uh, at the time, very, very famous. Um, and uh, same with, of course, the, the New York Philharmonic with Leonard Bernstein, all the major orchestras. So I brought him into Evansville, and it was just such an exciting time in, in my career. Uh, I had Abby Simon, who recorded all the Chopin uh, concerti and the etudes and preludes and Mazorska, um, just so many opportunities. And then I started another series called Faculty Chamber Players, mm-hmm. which all the faculty play in this group. And we met just once a semester, so twice a year. We had maybe three rehearsals, and they would, we would do a, a concert. And we typically was chamber music, so it could be Mio, Stravinsky, Brahms, uh, maybe the D- Dvorak, certainly Mozart. And and I really got to work with professional musicians. And at the same time, I was doing some ballet conducting in Evansville. So well, tell a, me, tell me, Lonnie. I just had a lot of opportunities there. <laughs> that's amazing. Tell me, you mentioned in Evansville, it was a private liberal arts college. What was the name of it? It's uh, University of Evansville. Got it. Uh huh. Evansville, Indiana. It's a private uh, liberal arts university. And you started so there in 1989, but it sounds like you had a, a wonderful uh, career there. How long did you stay? I really, I really did. Well, I stayed from 1989 to 1999, exactly 10 years. years. And in, the, in May of 1999, uh, I was looking at the Conductors Guild, which is sort of the trade magazine for conductors, and we all follow that. Mm-hmm. We follow the uh, the American Symphony Orchestra League trade magazine, certainly the Federation of Musicians, uh, and then the Conductors Guild. And I saw this opening in Las Cruces, <laughs> and and it it uh, said it was a professional symphony or well semi professional symphony orchestra. It had the budget listed and the qualifications to apply. So they wanted a terminal degree, which I had. They wanted someone with experience, which I had. Um, so I applied for the position, subsequently finding out after I won the audition that they had 67 ap- applicants for the position, which, a gen- you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now, that, was, that was pretty high. Sure. Now it's even higher. So I flew out here. I certainly interviewed with the board and the search committee, um, some university personnel, the dean, the provost, the president, HR, and then had my auditions, met the, met the players. And I'll never forget, they sent me the rep list about a month before I had to audition, and it was Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, okay. I studied it, I played it, but I never conducted it. So I, I really had to spend the entire month learning that symphony and not just really learning it, but you have to know it before you go in. So I flew out, auditioned, and um, about two weeks later, they called and offered me the position as the conductor of the LCSO. Fantastic. And that was in uh, May or uh, 1999 or thereabouts? Yeah, it was 1999. And I won the, they offered me the position in May of 1999 and literally sold my house um, and moved here June the 5th. I'll never forget. 
That's fantastic. And tell us a little bit about the history when you came here, uh, about the uh, orchestra and its relationship to New Mexico State. Okay, so when I came in 99, I, of course, met the board president and the treasurer and the rest of the board and then key, key, um, you know, business people in the community. And it was in the summer, and I had to program the entire season plus six guest artists um, and kind of work through the budget and figure out what I'm going to do to stay within the budget. So I spent that entire summer programming. So the budget at the time was around 150000 mm-hmm. for the orchestra for six concerts. And most the principals were paid. The rest of the orchestra was volunteers. Right. And I had to move very cautiously and be judicious. But I thought there's not going to be the quality control that a conductor would like to have. I'm not talking about controlling. I'm talking about artistic standards. So I went to the board and said, you know, everybody has to be paid. You can't just bring ringers in, pay them, and not pay anyone else. Because if you have an issue uh, with a musician in terms of how they're playing, I'm not talking about personality, just Mm -hmm. professionally how they're playing, and they say, well, you know, I'm volunteering my time. So this is what you get because I'm playing for free. Right. So I went to the board and I said, look, we have to figure out how we're going to raise money and I want to raise the standards artistically uh, with the orchestra in terms of the quality plus the repertoire. And so they agreed, and we sort of had to figure out ultimately how we're going to pay the players. And it's a per-service orchestra, meaning that it's if you rehearse, you get paid. If you do a concert, you get paid. It's a non-union orchestra. We pay... I try to stay right within the guidelines uh, of orchestras our size. So I did a lot of research in terms of, you know, what what would be a a fair pay scale. Certainly looked at the El Paso Symphony Orchestra's budget and what they were paying musicians. And so that's how it began. And our budget went from 150,000 to almost a half a million dollars during your time here. Let me, let me go back mm-hmm. when you mentioned that uh, when you came, the principals were paid, and the rest were mm-hmm. volunteers. How do you define principal for our listeners? Okay, principal would be, for instance, the concertmaster. So that's the leader of the string section. That would be the person directly to my left. They're the leader of the string section. Then you have principal second violin, principal viola, principal cello, principal bass. Then you have principal flute, principal oboe, clarinet, bassoon, trumpet, trombone and percussion right those are the principles and then the rest are what we call section players mm-hmm. so what i wanted to do was obviously the uh, principles were being paid i wanted to make sure the section players you know it's good for morale and it, it also says well as i'm a local player i'm a local musician but now i'm getting paid and so i really need to come into the rehearsal totally prepared and as a conductor, you know, my, my, my attitude is, is that, okay, you're getting paid. I'm, I'm, I, I, I know it's not, what, how, it's not as much as you want, but at least you're getting paid. So I was able to raise the standards of the orchestra. 
That's fantastic. And what was the relationship to New Mexico State when you came? Yeah, it was. It's kind of um, a hybrid relationship. You don't see it a lot in in uh, in the United States. Maybe maybe a handful. I know Millican University has a dual relationship. So I was actually employed. I'm actually employed by New Mexico State University, mm-hmm. and I taught a literature course and conducting. And then the rest of my load was to run, maintain uh, the Las Cruces Symphony, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. So, so we our offices are housed at the university, and we have, uh, uh, you know, a suite of offices, and I have my studio, mm-hmm. and then and which the board pays for, and the university pays my salary. So I think it's a win-win because. Standing alone, uh, it's very expensive to rent off a space and telephone service, and you know, it, so we've got that relationship. Also, the library is housed at the university, and either the university owns some of it, but most of the time, most of the library is owned by LCSA. So it was a good good opportunity to grow the orchestra with the support of the university and the support of the board. So that that's how it all began, and uh, mm-hmm. if we could fast forward, uh, you you stayed uh, you've been here twenty years, and this is your retirement uh, season. You're going to retire after this season, so uh, this is a very momentous time for you. So I I want to go back now, uh, and why don't you fill in from 1999 to 2000? What were some of the memorable uh, things that you can share with us? Because sounds as if, number one, you were able to increase the budget, so you worked very hard to raise funds. You were able to bring in people uh, and pay them, and obviously you grew the orchestra's uh, repertoire and so on. Give me some highlights of this of, of your time. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> some highlights. Well, let me just qualify one thing. So, the, actually, this is my 21st year. Okay. 21st year uh, with the orchestra. And next year, the board wants to keep me on as a consultant mm-hmm. or actually an advisor. So I'll still be involved with um, programming uh, the music uh, for the four guest conductors and obviously getting the personnel together and, you know, doing some fundraising for, for the orchestra as well. So that's, uh, and then I'll still be doing the Pops concerts next year. So I'll, next year will definitely be my final year, but limited in terms of conducting. But uh, let me say, so highlights would be certainly um, the com- commission work that was actually commissioned by KRWG, celebrating their anniversary at the first radio station in New Mexico, Ralph Goddard. And Mm -hmm. KRWG approached me about doing the commission work. And it happened to be Bill McLaughlin. And I know him from when he was the host of St. Paul Sunday Morning. Right. I just thought he was not only the host, but he's also a conductor. He was a conductor in Kansas City, but he's a noted composer. And so... We commissioned him to write a piece commemorating the anniversary of the radio station. And he did a lot of research. And he wrote a piece 
based on Greek mythology. The piece was called Remembering Icarus. I remember that. Go ahead. And, and so he sent me the score and the parts, and I thought, this is a really special piece, because he captures the spirit of New Mexico. It's tuneful, melodic, harmonically interesting, and beautiful. Yes. So Bill flew out, and we rehearsed. And, you know, we only have four rehearsals. We don't meet every day. We don't meet every week. We meet the week of a concert cycle. But he flew out, and we performed this work. And the audience just went bananas. <laughs> and it was such an inspiring and beautiful piece. And so Bill called me after the performance. He said, Lonnie... So you ask about highlights. Right. Lonnie, I think we can get this on NPR. And Fred Child is very interested. Fred Child, as you know, is the host of... of uh, Performance uh, Today. Performance Today, that's <laughs> right. correct. So I sent the audio in to Performance Today. It passed the artistic committee. Then it went to, to the engineers. And it passed the quality. You know, you have to make sure the sound quality is appropriate. And certainly, I was very excited about that. And then they called and said, we are going to air this nationally. Wow. That was a highlight. So you asked me, uh, I just finished the concert. They, Fred Child called and said, we're going to air it December the 11th or something mm -hmm. like that. He called me and he said, it's going to air at this certain time. I said, okay, great. So I was actually in, in Traverse City, Michigan. I was guest conducting the TSO for their Home for the Holidays Christmas Pops concert. And I went to the car, because obviously they had the radio in the hotel room. I went to the car, <laughs> turned it on, got it warm because there's snow and cold everywhere, and listened to that broadcast. And it was surreal. I because bet. before that, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the New York Philharmonic uh, with Leonard Bernstein conducting. Up next is <laughs> the Las Cruces Symphony with Lonnie Klein. Stay with oh, right, right up there with the greatest. Uh, yeah, I was just shaking in my bootstraps, thinking, oh my gosh, we got to follow New York Philharmonic. Are you kidding me? But it was broadcast, and I just had this incredible sense of accomplishment and so proud of the orchestra to to get a chance to be played on NPR heard in 50 states and on Sirius radio and subsequently it's been it's been aired two two more times since then amazing so that really was that really was a highlight and then of course other things like the other commission works that we've done Joan Tower um, um, she wrote a piece called Made in America. We got a grant for that. She came out, and we performed that work. I had uh, Reinhard Zayhofer, a German composer, that had, had written a piece for the orchestra. So I'm very proud of the commission works because you just can't play music of dead, white, European males all, right. all the time. <laughs> so you have to play music of our time, and there's some great, uh, uh, composers, or great American composers, female and male, of course, uh, young and old. So that was that's one of the highlights. And then I think the guest artists that we've had through the years. I mean, most orchestras our size 
have not had the kind of artists that we had. And I'm talking about, and by the way, since you brought it up before I go into that, another highlight is when you narrated <laughs> Lincoln Portrait. I wasn't going to bring that one up, but I, it was certainly a highlight for me. <laughs> Thank you. So, you, so for our listeners, uh, uh, Delano narrated. I approached him and said, you know, you've got a great voice. I never want to follow you in a speech. Right. Uh, you've got a great voice, and so would you consider narrating Lincoln Portrait? So we, uh, we did that here, and then subsequently did it in, in um, Lexington, Kentucky, when I was conducting, guest conducting the Allstate Orchestra. And Dale, by the way, you did a fantastic job there. Well, thank you very much. It was a real honor for me. We're talking to the maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony, Lonnie Klein, uh, who's been uh, the conductor here for 21 years. And he's talking about the highlights of his time here. And I must say, I'm, I'm very proud to be part of that on the Lincoln Portrait. That's such a, a impressive piece. And uh, the orchestra, yes. orchestra did a fabulous job. <laughs> Well, not only that, but we came back. I remember having you with Gail over to the house. I said, I want you to listen to another piece. It's called new, uh, uh, Morning for a New World right. by Joseph Swantner, Swantner, an American composer. And it's also uh, based on speeches of Lincoln, but uh, Martin Luther King. And very, very powerful piece, very technical, challenging uh, work, but, but inspiring. And you narrated that. Sure did. Another another so, wonderful opportunity. Another, another another highlight. So. Well, thank you, thank you. It was an honor for me. And 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 continue on uh, because you talk about the other highlights are the guest artists. I mean, you just brought some incredible, uh, amazing musicians uh, to our community. Um. I, well, you can you can imagine. So we have one guest artist per concert. So we have six concerts a year. Um, 10 years is 60, 20 years is 120, not counting the pops. Good man. So I've had, I've had well over 120 guest artists that had performed with the LCSA, but, um, some highlights would be Lynn Harold, uh, one of, one of the most famous cellists, uh, in the world. He preceded, of course, Yo-Yo Ma, mm -hmm. but a fabulous artist. I think Philip Quint. The violinist, certainly Jeremy Dank, uh, Kristen Chavez. We did one act, uh, uh, her doing Carmen, right. uh, Stepan Jacqui, violinist Misha Dichter, very famous uh, pianist uh, Dimitri Ratzner, two soloists that I had Angela Brown and Lawrence Brown Lee. Angela's a mezzo soprano, Lawrence Brown Lee had them early on in their career. Now they're singing at the Metropolitan Opera, and Angela sings in Paris. Uh, Lawrence sings in Europe all the time. Can't touch them now. The fee's too high. <laughs> <laughs> but great artist. Uh, Zul Bailey, um, Sarah St. Ambrosio, um, pops people like the Mariachi Cobre, gosh, Doc Severinsen. I remember uh, that. My idol. Yes. I watched him on the Johnny Carson show when I was a kid. Um, he came out and we did a special 9-11 memorial concert, and Doc, at that time, was 80, still playing fabulous, fabulously. We did a, two concertos uh, with him, and such a wonderful gentleman. Um, so I've had great opportunities to, to work with some, some you know, world-renowned guest artists, and that's just a handful. You certainly have. Great. 
pianists and cellists and violinists and singers. Um, the list is too numerous. Well, it's it's been outstanding, and the quality of the orchestra has just gotten better and better uh, as well under your leadership. Tell our listeners about uh, your outreach to the community. I know you hold luncheons before uh, the concerts uh, where you explain what the music is going to be about, and you do some other things just to acquaint people to your concerts mm-hmm. and classical music. I think that's outstanding. Ex- explain well, that. Well, I think, sure. I think the music director is the, is the real face of, of the orchestra, and so it's always been my philosophy, my attitude, if you will, that you need to be out and about in the, in the city that supports the orchestra. So, you know, I've spoken at the Rotary Club, the Chamber of Commerce, the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, uh, Good Samaritan uh, Retirement Center, uh, to let folks know what we're doing and how we're doing it. Uh, certainly, I have the pre-concert luncheons, and for the, our listeners, that that is a luncheon that precedes the concert. So the first concert's on a Saturday night. I do the luncheons on a Thursday. Typically, the, the guest artist is in town, so the patrons can that come to the luncheon, they can meet the guest artist. We talk about what we're going to perform. I talk about the music, and I really go into d- detail, not in an academic way, mm-hmm. but say, for instance, we're doing Beethoven and Third Symphony, the Eroica. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them how, how Beethoven transformed the orchestra from, say, a Haydn or a Mozart, not to diminish the works of Haydn or Mozart, but how he, he went from a classical composer to a, a real fiery, uh, dramatic, rom- early romantic com- composer and what to listen for, and, and that, you know, he added things like piccolo and, mm-hmm. and, and trombone. Uh, he added a chorus uh, to this, his last symphony, you know, you know, the Ode to Joy, the Ninth, the Ninth Symphony. So I talk about a little bit about historically about, uh, you know, when they were born. In his case, he was born in 18, uh, uh, 1770 and died in 1827, so 57 mm-hmm. years old. He's written nine symphonies, five con- piano concertos, a violin concerto, certainly Fidelio, uh, all the all the great works of Beethoven. I tell the audience, here's what you can expect. Here's what to listen for. Uh, here's why it's dramatic. Here's why it's different than a Mozart or a Haydn. And so we we'll, we could go through every concert. It could be a Mozart. It could be Gershwin. It could be Copland, Bernstein. It could be Tchaikovsky. It could be um, uh, nationalistic composers like Dvorak, Czech, or, or Smetna. It could be the Ravel, right. French, and certainly the, the famous Russians, uh, Boarding, um, uh, Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky. They all have a different style of writing. And so I try to, you know, give the audience or the, the patrons at show an idea of why Ravel is so different than Gershwin, mm-hmm. or why Ravel is different from Dvorak or Tchaikovsky. Well, I think this is a great public service that you offer, just to explain, because, you know, classical music is not everyone's uh, cup of tea, but if they would come to your luncheon, uh, they could get a sense uh, of the history and understanding of, of classical music. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I hear that a lot. So, Lonnie, now it makes sense to me. You've explained 
what's going on. So, for instance, um, if I did uh, the Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, that was really the first programmatic symphony that was written. And strangely enough, it was written in 1827, the year that Beethoven passed away. Mm -hmm. And so it tells the story in its five movements, and it's revolutionary. It takes Beethoven and puts him on steroids, practically. <laughs> it's got it's got E-flat clarinet, a big percussion section. It's got uh, uh, a, a big brass section. And so it sort of tells the story musically about what's happening in the text. So the music makes the text come alive in terms of telling the story. Sure so does. I tell that story to the patrons. Here's what to listen for. Here's March to the Scaffold. It's a march. Mm. That's fabulous. So, but also, yeah, you, they, they get an idea. That that is that is terrific. And also, you could come to the rehearsals on Friday. Are you still doing that? And and what it costs only fifteen dollars or so to come to. We don't do that. We don't do it anymore. Too, we don't do that anymore because I we found out financially that. Uh, yes, you could come, and we did it for a number of years. That's what I thought, Because right? we were sold out, and I thought, why why not come to the dress rehearsal? Mm -hmm. Let's have open seating, $15, informal. We're not wearing tuxes. It's a, it's a rehearsal. I'm probably in blue jeans and tennis shoes. Right. So it's a rehearsal. And so we had a big following. Well, it ended up coming, it ended up, a lot of people were coming for $15 right. to hear the orchestra rehearse and not coming to the actual concert right. on Saturday or Sunday. And uh, at, at, when we were sold out, that was a great option. But our tickets, after, strange, after 2008, you know, the recession hit, and our ticket sales started to fall off subscription. So uh, we thought it's better to go ahead and do away with Friday at the symphony and just make it a full rehearsal so there's no one in the audience, and then they'll continue to support the symphony. So they do. They come on right. Saturday and Sunday now. Okay. So you're not doing that any longer. But but you have really – I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, your board and your supporters uh, because – uh, you you have really brought something. They call it the jewel in the desert. This Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra. Uh, to mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the board and your and your supporters over the years. Well, I have a very supportive board. They, you know, it's it's sort of unusual actually to have a music director for twenty one, twenty two years. Mm -hmm. um, so they support they support me artistically. They, um, you know, obviously help raise funds for the orchestra. They do fundraisers. It's, um, you know, a real symbiotic relationship between me and them and, uh, and, and the front office, uh, the executive director and the operations manager, the librarian, and then our personnel manager for the orchestra. So it takes lots of little uh, components to make, put, to put an orchestra together. So they've been very supportive. And when I came in 99, I realized that they didn't have sponsors. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why don't, why don't, why do we not have sponsors? I mean, that's, that's the, that's how we can do big programs and grow the orchestra. And so uh, the first person I actually approached, and you know him, was John Hummer. Right. He was the CEO of the hospital, Mountain View Regional 
a medical center here in Crucis. They were building the hospital, and I approached John. I said, John, I've got a number of doctors on the board, and the symphony is an economic force in the community because you've got to remember, and he, he's all about numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, can they, what does the orchestra bring to the community? Well, we bring a cultural uh, uh, component to, to the community. A lot of people move here because we have Division One athletics, we have a library, we have beautiful weather, uh, the cost of living is inexpensive compared to cities, larger cities or cities our size, but we have a symphony orchestra. And that's a very important John point. On. John jumped on board, then I went to, at that time it was called Golden Mesa. Mm-hmm. Um, retirement center, and they were a major sponsor. So we started talking to key business leaders about supporting the symphony, uh, and they jumped on. And we had different levels: ten thousand, five thousand, twenty-five hundred. Um, and so we grew the orchestra, and then we started applying for more for mm-hmm. grants, uh, not just New Mexico Arts, but we got funding from the Stocker Foundation. We got funding from the Harris Foundation. I got funding from the American League of Symphony Orchestras to do these commission works. So we increased our grant support, increased our corporate support, and then individual donations started going up. Fantastic. So, so it really, got, like my mentor said, Leon Gregorian said, Lonnie, you know, uh, 10% of your work is going to be conducting. That just 10%. Mm-hmm. That's when you're going to wave the baton. You've got to know the literature. You've got to know the, have, have the technique. You've got to know the personnel. But 90% of your time is going to be spent in the community, talking to patrons, getting an idea of key business leaders, and, you know, being visible and supporting other causes within the community. And I learned that at a very, very young age. And you've and done I, that, you've done that extremely well in, uh, in Las Cruces. Uh, we, we're, we're talking to Lonnie Klein, who's the maestro conductor of the Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra here in Las Cruces, and uh, it's his 21st year. Um, Lonnie, you've been very generous with your time. We're, we're, I have a few more questions. Um, mm-hmm. Just go back now uh, and talk mm-hmm. about what's next uh, for, for the symphony. Uh, there is a search for a new conductor. You're going to be a consultant um, after this season. Uh, but they will, your board is looking for a new conductor. Um, and you're going to be there, I'm sure, to help support it in the future. But tell me what this uh, process is all about at this point. Well, actually, it's a good question. It's fairly arduous at this point. So mm-hmm. I am on the committee, the search committee, and the board agreed that we need to run a national search. And so actually the search closed February the 1st. Uh-huh, just closed. And to that date. To that date, we've had a hundred, over a hundred and thirty applications wow. for this position. That's how competitive it is. So the process will be to take the one thirty and call it down to probably forty, and then forty will go to twenty, and then twenty will go to ten, and then at that point we'll Skype the the top ten conductors, mm-hmm. and then we'll vote on the four finalists and i'm on the committee but i'm ex officio so i don't vote right i'm just there as an advisor mainly to make sure that what if whoever the finalist is that uh, they program music that 
that is accessible to the orchestra, that we have access to the music, and um, just to you know help out with personnel, obviously help to raise money next year, and then just be the go-to guide for personnel for music uh, in, in the front office. And we'll have four candidates. We'll have two in the fall, two in the spring. Um, the board will vote. The search committee will vote, but major stakeholders will also be involved. And that means audience survey after each concert. They will have an orchestra survey because ultimately the musicians are going to have to work with this conductor. And they're the musicians. They're the pros. So they'll interview each finalist, and they'll do a survey of the conductor, and they'll give us their input on who they think is going to be the next conductor. And I really don't want somebody to fly in, fly out. Right. That's kind of the norm right now. They may have other orchestras. Most of the applications I've reviewed, have they have other orchestras. But I want them to, certainly if they choose not to live here, I still want them to be involved in the community. Because I think just flying in and flying out and doing a concert is probably not going to work. This is in I terms of their. This is in terms of their audition. You're talking, right? Uh-huh. And if you're appointed the next music director, I think that they really need to spend time in Crucis and get to know, um, get to know the community, get to know the orchestra. Certainly, help you know be the face of the, of the orchestra in terms of meeting major stakeholders and being involved. That's that's very important. I think I think you're absolutely right. But let me get a sense of the timeline on on this process for a new conductor. Uh, when you mentioned the fall, we're talking now about the fall 2020, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the spring. It will be the spring 2021. That's uh, correct. So the choice will be made sometime in mid 2021. That's right. And mm-hmm. what, that's really a short search. Usually, it takes two years. Mm-hmm. So uh, we thought we would expedite it. So we we run the search. We start. We announced in November. All it was in the trade papers through February first. As I said, we have 130 applications. We'll we'll have the finalists nailed down by May of 2020, and then next year, 2020 fall, 2021 spring, we'll have four guest conductors. Uh, we'll make a decision by May of 2021, who the next conductor of the orchestra will be. Well, that's fantastic. Lonnie, we're just about running out of time, but I wanted our listeners to hear about this process because you've been so intimately involved in this orchestra uh, since 99, building up, uh, raising money, increasing its visibility, the quality, uh, the fundraising abilities. You've done an outstanding job. Uh, I want to close out with your telling me again, you might have, had some other thoughts. What would be your greatest accomplishment? And then sort of what's next for Lonnie? You mentioned you're going to be a consultant. I know you've uh, conducted all over the world. We didn't talk about that. You have Mm -hmm. been all over the world as you've been conducting the symphony here, but you've been guest conductor in Spain and uh, New Mexico and Italy and, and lots of other places. But tell me about your proudest accomplishment as you wind down and what what is next for Lonnie Klein? Okay, very quickly, I think my proudest, proudest accomplishment would, would be taking this orchestra from when they appointed me music director in 1999 to, to where it is today, not just financially, but I think artistically. I mean, we've done, 
major repertoire. We've done all the Beethoven symphonies. We've done all the Chaik symphonies, Dvorak, uh, Brahms, Mozart, Haydn, um, 20th century uh, composers, American composers. Copeland. Gershwin, Copeland, Bernstein. <laughs> yes. Um, that's, and that, to me, is, is exciting because I know where we started and I know, I know where we ended up. And I know whoever the, the conductor, the new conductor will be, will have a solid orchestra of really, really fine musicians. So that's, that's really what I'm most proud of. But also, this is my home. Mm-hmm. This is where I, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to move. This is my home. Glad to hear that. So many connections. I have so many friends, not just with the orchestra, but but so many friends that I met through the years that that I you know they're they're dear to me. Um, also, I'm proud of the opportunity that I've had to guest conduct. You mentioned that, so it. it um, I'm still going to be guest conducting, and, and as you said, I mean, I've been to Italy 11 times, <laughs> Germany three times, Spain, Romania, Turkey, Vienna, Bogota, South America, Mexico, Canada, U.S., whatever. That's fantastic. So I, I want to continue to guest conduct, and as I said, next year I will be conducting the Pops concert. So um, it's, it's great to guest conduct, but it's always really great to get back home to your your own orchestra because they know me i know them i don't have that big of a language barrier uh obviously with speaking english in with the orchestra that, mm-hmm. that's always a challenge in europe you know for instance german italian right um um so so you know looking looking forward to maybe doing some work overseas now that i have more time well, thank you, Lonnie. Uh, we've been talking to Lonnie Klein, the maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra, and I'm so glad to hear that you're going to stay here. I'm so glad that you're going to be consulting and looking and helping on your successor as the, a new conductor uh, in 2021. But we are so proud of you, and as a Las Cruces uh, resident, and my wife and I, Gail and I, strong supporters of you and the symphony, you have done an incredible job uh, here as the maestro. So I uh, uh, good luck in the search, and good luck uh, to you as uh, you take on uh, your next chapter. Thank you very much, Lonnie. Thank you, sir. I'm Ambassador, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the orchestra. Uh, it's been my passion and my heart, my soul, my career. Two-thirds of my career has been in Crucis. So, I mean, I'm really grateful and thankful and honored that, that I've been the music director here. And I know it's going to move forward. Uh, with a new conductor, and they'll have a new ideas, a new vision, a new strat plan, but we're giving somebody an opportunity to to, to grow the orchestra and 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 uh, you know keep music alive. Our symphony really does bloom in the desert here in southern New Mexico. It certainly does. Thank you so much. We have been talking to Lonnie Klein, maestro of the Las Cruces Symphony Orchestra, uh, who will be, he's been here for 21 years. Uh, he will be consulting and stepping down as conductor in 2021. So we wish him the best, and we wish Las Cruces Symphony the best for its new uh, chapter coming in 2021. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Left, Right, Forward. Until next time, Godspeed. You have been listening to the Left Right Forward Show, where our mission is to inspire, educate, and inform. Thanks for listening.